Yeah, good morning. Good to see you. And uh, like yesterday, uh, right from the beginning, I like to invite you to shift into the body so that you are here not only with your intellect, but also with your emotional body, with your energy body. And throughout the session, that's the place to return to. And so that you know, we bring our whole being into this meeting. And also connecting with each other you know, on the level of shared humanity. Yesterday I looked at the first part of the text, the foundational practices. So we looked at the precious boat, fully equipped, the precious human life. And then we also looked at death, the certainty of death and the uncertainty of the time of death. The main practice suggestion yesterday came from another first, which is the practice suggestion of rely on silence. So, and in our first meditation, I want to go a bit into an experience of what Thomas Sampo means with rely on silence. Another word for that pith instruction is to become aware of being aware, or to be conscious of being conscious, resting in the nature of mind, resting as awareness, awareness of awareness, non-dual consciousness, meditating on the emptiness of mind, settling the mind in its natural state, so these are all uh, different description of the same shift. Uh, it's a shift of consciousness, relaxing the identification with the content of our experience, so that what you feel, that what you hear, that what you think, that's the content of our consciousness, uh, to shift our curiosity to that which is aware. So we we start to be curious about the sky. Usually we are just curious about the clouds. But now, with a rely on silence, there is a shift into the knowing empty space within which your experience comes and goes. And the knowing empty space, consciousness itself, pure consciousness, that is the silence. Rely on that, rely on silence. So that is actually the, ref, the refuge, in, uh, that's the essence of the three jewels, is to rely on that silence. And it, ha it has nothing to do what's going on in the content of our mind. So it's not calming the mind, the relative mind. It's not feeling differently than you feel right now. It's connecting with that which is bigger than that, bigger than the moving mind, and which is always accessible. No matter how difficult the situation is, no matter how turbulent the surface is of the ocean, the depth of the ocean remains untouched, remains calm. So we are relying on the, on the 
depth of the ocean and looking from there. We always look from there, but we don't realize that we always look from there. So it's a, it's a recognition of something which is already happening. And so that makes it possible for us not to look from the surface, because usually we are entangled into this, in the stream or in the waves. And we look from there. So if we experience anxiety, then that anxiety doesn't stay the object of our awareness. I am aware of my anxiety, so I'm not my anxiety. And I don't need to put my anxiety on the driver's seat. Uh, but actually, the anxiety is an object of the experiencer. And we step into the witness, into the experiencer. And that is the silence, because the silent, the, uh, the, the witness is in the nature of silence, is in the nature of peace, is in the nature of essence love, yeah, the presence, the, the loving presence, the loving awareness. And in our meditation, in our formal meditation, we make ourselves familiar with that shift, so that then, to quote Tongma Sangpo, that we are able to do this little journey, which is not really a journey, it's a recognition of something which already is happening. You are already the, the witness. You never were the content of your experience. You just have identified with it again and again and called it me and mine. Yeah. So, then it becomes possible, uh, as Tom Mesampo says, to practice day and night constantly. Yeah? Because that little journey home uh, can happen effortlessly more and more. You will never really figure out how to do it, but your heart will develop a homing instinct and find its way home more and more easily. Yeah? naturally so it becomes a way the way you are the way you becomes a way of being and in that in uh, initially it's short moments repeated again and again and then slowly slowly we start to notice that there is a bigger calmness in our life that there is a loving presence shining from us into the world and into our relationships. So we start to love whatever arises within us and with outside of us, which is the same thing, uh, but initially it might make sense to make a difference between the so-called outside world and the inner world. And then your even your own death will be a journey home the home you never left. So to the rational uh, mind, what I said uh, doesn't really make sense. So this is a poetic language, which is one of the attempts in the Tibetan tradition to transmit the experience of that primordial silence. This is a bit different than other meditation techniques where you first learn to calm down the relative mind. This is not necessary here. Yeah. 
We are not trying to calm down the relative mind. We are marinating in the silence, in, in the spacious presence, which is already pervading and surrounding your experience. And at one point, the movement itself will be recognized as movements of that silence. So you, you start to experience the silence in the movement. You, experience, you start to experience the silence in the music. So the music is not a disturbance of the silence, it is an expression, it is a radiance of that silence. So let's take 20 minutes or so to, uh, to settle, allowing the heart and the mind, the body to settle in its natural state. A bit like uh, a muddy glass of water, which is stirred up and you put it down and then the mud starts to settle naturally, naturally and then the clarity of the water becomes more apparent. The clarity of the water was not uh, destroyed, it was just temporarily covered. So the practice of settling the mind in its natural state is a practice of doing nothing. Uh, just doing nothing. Uh, kind of taking the finger, the grasping fingers of wanting something else and trying to get rid of the mud to take this finger off and just open, just open your fingers, your heart, your body, your mind. And then you wait. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, instinctively there will be movements of grasping, and that's part of the mud. And so in that moment you just relax, and you let the urge of manipulating your experience pass through, like everything else. In a way, this is the most easy practice because there's nothing to do, but because we are so addicted to doing, fixing, controlling, manipulating, interfering, it is not necessary practice which is being taught to beginners, uh, but some people can initially, right from the beginning, uh, benefit from that kind of instructions. So if you are... Uh, a meditator, so you have some experience with meditation and you notice within that practice that your mind naturally and effortlessly goes towards the breath and starts to rest there, of course that's fine. You know, so that's not the wrong way to do this practice. So, uh, but it is a different thing than having the breath as an object and trying with some discipline and with some effort to keep engaged with the primary object of the meditation. So here in this practice, it's a natural process of just uh, the breath comes to the foreground just naturally out of habit. Yeah. Then there might be other things appearing within you, yeah? some tension or some tiredness or some physical and emotional disturbances. And then they come to the foreground, and so that's fine. Then you then then there's another primary meditation object. So we are not um, attaching ourselves to a certain object, but we stay flexible, flexible awareness. Uh, 
So you can uh, sit with open or closed eyes, depending on uh, what feels more comfortable for you. If your eyes are open, you just keep them very relaxed without particular looking at something like an open gaze, you know, taking in the whole visual field. Or if you close your eyes, then uh, you don't have the visual field. But there's other stuff happening and you adjust your posture. And you notice what happens if you shift from the head into the body, initially maybe kind of a body scan even down into your feet and your legs and your hips and the trunk of your body. Also the arms and hands. So you shift away from the inner dialogue, from this strong identification with the head, as if you're sitting in the head. So you feel the awareness or the aliveness, your own energy in the whole body. And it could be helpful to slightly, lightly rest on the breaths. So with the in-breaths, you can also take a couple of deeper in and out breaths. So you slide into the body and you welcome all the guests in the guest house of your body. As best as you can. Being a gracious host. To all guests, also the, the ones you don't like. Or letting go of your agenda and pressure. Present moment awareness, slide into present moment awareness. And we can appreciate that we do this gesture together as a group. Probably we are actually meeting the same space. So we can meet here from heart to heart. And breathing into the human experience together. And we are not the only one who are doing that right now. So there is actually a field of silence, of silent presence. 24-7 on this planet, people sitting in the presence of the Divine, opening to the silence, to the mighty silence, to consciousness itself. And then in the out-breath, there's a quality of letting go. So it could be possible for you to release some of the 
struggle, some of the effort, softening the belly and the shoulders. Unhooking from thoughts. And finding a place of rest in the midst of your experience, like the eye of the storm, or the depth of the ocean, or the boundaryless of the sky. Then if you get entangled into the inner dialogue, into the mental images, then you make this little kind sliding back into the felt sense of your body, into the aliveness in your hands or the belly, the breath. And returning, resting. If possible, drop the words me and mine regarding the content. Thoughts are happening. Feelings are happening, sounds are happening, the sensation in my body are happening, and it's not me, it's not mine.
It's the shared human experience which we breathe into and welcome. Particularly those parts which are usually rejected or met with harshness. We meet with openness, kindness, non-violence. Maybe you notice that there's something wants to be felt in you. Something pleasant or unpleasant. Maybe a, a contraction. And just embrace that. Hold it softly. Touch it gently with awareness and breath. And do it for all of us. Not here. Not only here in this group, but for all. For everyone. Bring healing into the world. Non-violence, forgiveness, tenderness. So with the in-breath, hold touching gently, holding softly. With the out-breath, letting go of the control freak. The meditator. And one of the really important qualities is the quality of compassionate presence, of tenderness, of softness, of nurturing. And sometimes it's difficult to connect with these qualities and that's why we call upon the presence of this lineage, our guides, our protectors, our role models, the teachers, the fellow practitioners. And you can invite them into our meeting, invite their presence, their loving gaze, their voice, their scent, so that you feel that you are not alone, that you're surrounded by those archetypes and symbols of bodhicitta, of the awakened heart. And you allow yourself to be loved. You allow yourself to be seen. 
by the Dalai Lama or Jesus, Tara, Ramasopa. Then we can also add the lineage of this text, which I received from Lama Sopa and the Sodhanist Dalai Lama, and then they received it from their teachers, Ling Rinpoche and Trijang Rinpoche, and then they received it from Palponka Rinpoche. And then this lineage goes back to Tongve Sampo in the 13th century, and then to Atisha, who brought these teachings to, to Tibet. And then to Nalanda Monastery, Shantideva, and then to the generations back to the Buddha. And we call upon that lineage of spiritual warriors of Bodhisattvas, who were human beings struggling just like us, and they practiced so that they became what this text is talking about. You can imagine it as a light or as a warmth, a healing light pouring you into you from all directions into every cell of your body. As if you take a bath, or as if you are ba bathing in the morning sun, like a little puppy, just taking in the warmth. And then this refuge field dissolves and fills your body, particularly the heart area. So if you bring your awareness lightly in the heart, breathing there, and you become aware of the Buddha within, the Tara within, the Goddess within, the Jesus within, the Dalai Lama within. You could put a mental image there. But more important to feel the source of wisdom, the source of love, the place where your deep love comes from, the essence of your being. And then your heart opens like a flower and compassionate presence pulls into your body and through the pores of your body into your surroundings. Here, from heart to heart, in this group, and then where you are. And with each out-breath, you can push it out a little further.
and through your hands and through your heart, through your eyes, through your mouth, pours out essence love, the healing light of your own presence. This also takes care of the contraction within you, the wounds within you. So you look at your inner life and your surroundings with the eyes of the Buddha, the heart of the Buddha. loving whatever arises. And whatever you experience, whatever comes and goes, comes and goes within that space. And then you rest as the loving witness. Deeper. Centerless, boundaryless, timeless. infinite and eternal. Deeper, wider. If you get identified and tangled, you make a backward step into the sky, to the river bank. Into space, present space. Just openness. Boundaryless. So there's the moving mind, Sen, 
in Tibetan, the scream of sense data and what your conceptual mind does with this sense data, thoughts, feelings, your mood. But isn't there also something else? That wall, where the looking comes from, where the hearing comes from, the, when, where your attention comes from, the source of your attention. And the presence is not separate from the flow, but it's also not exactly the same. gravitate towards silence, rely on silence, gravitate towards space, rely on space, on, pre on presence, your own presence, your own beingness. And rest. So you look and then you rest as the looking. Listen with your heart, with your body to that which is bigger. Lie on silence. Not the silence which is there when there's no noise, but the silence which is surrounding and pervading the movement, the noise. Primordial silence, primordial space, primordial peace. Allowing this moment to be exactly what it is. Like the sky allows the weather and the ocean allows the clouds, the, the waves. Like a mountain allows the rain. Just rest in natural peace. And that's why we are here today. 
for the benefit of this planet, for the benefit of this universe. We inspire to rely on silence, on loving silence. Until our life, until our body, our eyes and our mouth, our hands, embodies this silence. If you have your eyes closed, you open them again. So this uh, simple instruction, rely on silence, it could be seen as the essence of the Tibetan tradition. Yeah, and here again, silence not as the practice of shamatha, where you calm down the mind. So this silence which is pointed to here is, is something much more radical than feeling calm. Because feeling calm will come and go. So if we take refuge into feeling calm and feeling good, then we are doomed. Because spiritual practice is never about feeling better. Because feeling better, feeling, feeling worse, uh, that will continue to happen. Physical pain, emotional pain. Also our practice will not make our life better. We will be disappointed if we hope that, that suddenly we are a good practitioner and then our life becomes more easy. Quite often actually the opposite is the case, because sometimes the process of healing and growing accelerates uh, when we start to practice. So quite often there's actually more turbulence in our life uh, through the connection of the teachings. So what we are, uh, what we are moving towards is much more radical than feeling better. It's being free from feeling good and feeling bad. And uh, uh, growing in the experience of being a human, growing in our capacity to love and in our wisdom. So the Buddha or Lama Sopa, they also have pain and sickness and death and loss and, and difficult feelings, what you could call difficult feelings. They are, they are people just like us, they are human beings, so there's no way out of that. But the way they relate to them, it's very different. And how do we relate? How do they relate to them? They rely on silence. They rely, <coughs> they rely on essence love, 
which is another word for that silence. And uh, times of pressure like this one we experience now, uh, they are looked forward to by the Bodhisattva practitioner. Uh, because as a Bodhisattva you practice in the fire. You prepare yourself to practice in the fire, not in, in, the, in the nice place, not, not in the comfort zone. We, as a Bodhisattva we move out of the comfort zone. Because that's where we grow. It's an advanced practitioner who can say, like Lama Sopa, well, Lama Yesha, I'm not sure who said it, uh, loving problems like ice cream. And this uh, loving problems like ice cream, so loving problems, that's so radical, it also loves that you don't love your problems. It includes also the resistance, which is natural and in a way also appropriate uh, sometimes. You know? So we, we don't, we d you don't need to like to be in a crisis. But since we are always in the crisis, then it's so powerful to have a text and a practice which helps us to see these crises as precious. And that's one of the points in this text. Yeah? So uh, after the preparation practices, Tong uh, Sampo goes into the Lojong practices, yeah, attitude training or transforming problems. And there's uh, some, some verses um, you know, describing the challenges uh, we have as human beings, like being criticized, being rejected, being stolen from, losing things, you know, sickness, old age, death. Uh, so, and he, he and it's quite interesting to to recognize you know people have had this kind of problems always uh, so they are uh, you know the, the the environment we're living in is very different compared to Tongue Sampo's environment but the human experience is the same you know, the same kind of struggles the same kind of hurts the same kind of reactivity and buttons be pushed and uh, so in these uh, verses around um, um, difficult people, difficult situations, there's that battle cry of the Bodhisattva, you know, seeing that as the place where we wake up, where we grow, where we, where we extend the heart muscle, yeah, where we extend our capacity. Uh, to love, including our own reactivity, including our own addictions, including our own failure. It's so precious uh, to, to, uh, to uh, transform that we have already into gold. And one of the, so there's, in this section, there's like two directions, at least in the way K. 
Dr. McLeod is interpreting this text. So the one is to rely on silence, yeah, to the Mahamudra direction, uh, shifting your sense of I away from the content to the experiencer, to that which is experiencing consciousness itself, awareness itself, presence, uh, which is basically your Buddha nature. So that which looks through your eyes and your heart, that is your Buddha nature. It's not like something fantastic, completely different from another planet. It's, uh, it's that ordinary, very familiar, very close presence. That's your Buddha nature. That which looks up through your eyes is already your Buddha nature. That which hears these words is your Buddha nature. The knowingness is, is, the, is the knowingness of this moment. That is your Buddha nature. And as it says in the text, the problem is not that it is something mysterious, magical, uh, something really cool. Uh, no, the problem is it's too close, too simple. We oversee it because we are looking there, we are looking to the objects and collapse with our identification into the objects. So that's the first uh, to rely on silence and uh, in the commentary Ken McLeod uh, is going into that practice with different words almost in every, with every first. And the other is the practice of Tonglen, giving and taking. Yeah? And uh, before the break, I want to I picked one of the verses, um, and that's okay. Yeah, first 18. It's uh, towards the end of the section on Lojong. When you are down and out, held in content. When you're down and out, held in content. Uh, he's, uh, he also in the other verses, he goes into this kind of direction held and content, being criticized, being rejected a lot. Yeah. And uh, as you know from your own life, it's really hard uh, uh, to stay in a place where you feel content, where people slander you, where there's rumors around you, where you know that people talk behind your back, where they're mobbing you, uh, when social media it's so hard, you know, to put something out, to put your work out, and then get all these stupid comments. And uh, uh, yeah, so it, it's hard for us as human beings. It's also ingrained in our uh, in our psychological makeup, in our evolution, because we are group animals. So any kind of rejection, any kind of contempt, uh, is triggered triggers in us a strong reactivity because 
it's it means uh, fear of death, yeah, because we we need to we need the group to survive. So it's very hard for us instinctually to feel excluded, and we we do everything to prevent that. And when people say, "Oh, I don't care what other people think," that's just bullshit. And if if you if you say it yourself sometimes, then you're just sitting on top of this and you're not connected. It matters to us. It's in our genes. Yeah. We all, to feel safe, we need to have a feeling of belonging. Yeah. It's, a, it's a big yearning in us. But we don't need to be enslaved by it. So when you are down and out, you know, so this is really the situations which we will, the situation we will all experience, and we have had have had experiences like this, where we break down, where everything becomes too much when we are down and out, and these these days and these weeks or months, they will come again where we feel we can't handle the situations. The emotions are too strong, uh, our reactivity is too strong, things seem to be too difficult to handle. So this is exactly the situation uh, Tony Sampo has, has experienced in his own life. You know? His mother died when he was three, then he was raised by his grandmother, who also died a couple uh, couple of years later and then his father died and he was raised uh, by an uncle and then he was brought as a, as, a, as a teenager into a monastery and he had no support, uh, so no family, yeah. which is hard in a Tibetan monastery because the monastery doesn't provide uh, for their monks, so the, the, the family members still need to do that. So he uh, experienced that a lot, you know, down and out, held in contempt, to be an outsider, to be excluded, to not to belong. So this text is also, I mean, it is, it is written out of his own pain and as a reminder for himself. So as a Bodhisattva baby, when these times are happening, I mean, a little bit it's happening all always, but you know, definitely we have this kind of crisis also. Uh, then, then it's so precious to have a text like this. Just keep it by the by the you know, keep it close. You know, texts like this or uh, the books of Pema Children. So they are all you know, they, Pema, the Pema Children books. They are all based on this uh, these teachings. You know. Um, which were first formulated uh, by Shantideva in the Bodhisattva And then there's many other texts. And it's, it's really good to have a book like that handy, because these times will come. Yeah. It's unavoidable. And our practice will not prevent these situations to happen, but they will give us tools to grow in these situations to make them meaningful. This is so wonderful to have, uh, to have tools which you can install as automatic processes in your, 
in your networks uh, to uh, uh, to bring meaning into this kind of situations and to think uh, I just need to act in the right way I just need to have the right insurances and then things like this will not happen to me this is completely childish because the your life can crumble in a blink of a second suddenly everything is gone suddenly so even if you have like a young healthy body and you think this will this will last forever and it's something to rely upon so little uh, can uh, is necessary for to to turn your to, to turn your life around from one moment to the next, and a little bit we experiencing experiencing it now. I mean, low scale, yeah. It's not it's not really bad, um, but it's it's like a bit of a taste of that. That suddenly something unexpected happens, and then all the plane tickets uh, which we bought they are worth nothing. So this is not uh, to scare you, maybe a little, <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes we need a little push, you know, like, um, because we are still, uh, you know, so the precious human life, we are still in a situation, all of us here, uh, a, a time, weeks, months, where we can where we can uh, train our mind, where we can install healthy, constructive habits of thinking and feeling. Yeah? And they don't fall from the sky. So even if we know about them, you know, maybe we have read the text, uh, we need to train. Yeah? We need to familiarize yourself. Uh, uh, with these processes, because then they will be available when the shit hits the fan. Yeah. And then if you have <clears throat> some familiarity and you start to <clears throat> notice, wow, yeah, I notice it's happening, I remember in the meeting, in the stressful meeting in my company, I remember rely on silence. You know, Thomas Amp was whispering in your ear, or Namasopa, rely on silence. And that's a happy moment for the practitioner. Yeah. Or at least after the meeting, uh, you think, oh, I should have relied on silence. Yeah, so that's. And that's why we also need to come together in groups like this, because we need the reminder again and again. Yeah? I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I talk about this so much and I'm constantly, you know, I have some text on uh, all the time, because also I'm, I'm always preparing for teachings. And still, uh, there's so many moments where I collapse back into all patterns and reactivity and contraction. Yeah. 
desperately ill and emotionally crazed. Desperately ill and emotionally crazed. Yeah. I, I, so he's really, uh, you know, uh, describing the worst times in our life. Down and out, held in contempt, desperately ill and emotionally crazed. Like freaking out, breaking down. So emotionally crazed also the 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 stability of our refuge can be so strong that even if we are crazy, yeah, kind of a paranoid or still we remember rely on silence. The paranoia is an object of awareness. I don't need to look from the paranoia, I can look at it. I'm bigger than that. Depression, anxiety attacks yeah. that would be modern modern words for emotionally crazed. There's people who can do this even with psychosis. I've met people like that. They hear voices, they have hallucinations, and they can make the backward step. I'm very close to, to one person, who, and she is handling it like this. It's amazing. Then he says, don't lose heart. Yeah. Don't lose heart. That's the, the stability of your refuge. That even in the darkest night of our heart, of our soul, there is refuge. With that, which does not mean that you feel better. Does not mean that suddenly the dark night of the soul is gone. Yeah? So you, you still have the you, you still have to do the journey uh, through the dark night of the soul. Uh, but you don't lose heart, and you recognize the dark night of the soul as a necessary uh, journey a necessary part of the journey, and you don't lose heart. And you are not going to feel better immediately, maybe even for a long time, but you don't lose heart, because it's not about feeling better. It's often a side effect that you feel a bit better, because most of our suffering is coming from our, uh, from our resistance. So, if the resistance lessens, the suffering also lessens. But that's a side effect. 
So and now comes the practice. Yeah. So here there's the part of uh, the lojong. Yeah. So there's a difficult situation, and that is good news for the practitioners. We can think about it differently. So that's the lojong attitude training. And then the second is take into you the suffering and negativity of all beings. So this is the practice of Tonglen. With the in-breath, taking into, into you the suffering and negativity of all beings. So the first step in that is this shift to I'm not alone with this. Yeah? Not, oh, me, me and my crisis and what's happening to me. You are not alone with this. So that's the first. And the second is then, and may my being with this, may this free all other people also. Yeah? May my wise and loving being with this, the contraction, the loss, the pain, the wound, may my love... So, you, similar, I, 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 I uh, instructed it a bit in the first meditation uh, to have the sense that when you breathe into your inner world and you embrace your inner world, that you embrace the human experience, that it's not yours. Yeah. And then with the out-breaths, you give to yourself what everyone needs. And with that, you give to everyone. Because we are not existing as separate, stable, disconnected units, disconnected from everything. We are part of the human consciousness. And the way we relate to our inner life has consequences, uh, radiates out into the world. Okay, so let's have 10 minutes break and then I want to uh, start in, uh, in 10 minutes with the meditation uh, bringing this point a bit more into the foreground. Yeah? So the kind of the essence of Tonglen. I don't want to go into a lot of details uh, around the practice of Tonglen. Uh, I have taught that a lot before. You can listen to other teachings. Uh, but uh, like kind of the essence, Tonglen in a nutshell. Yeah? Okay, see you in 10 minutes. Maybe you move a bit, yeah, so then, and uh, then we will continue. I'm going to lead a meditation now, uh, Tonglen in a nutshell, so without the symbolism more immediate. And for that, I will invite you to connect with uh, something you struggle with. And that could be connected with the corona situation or you know, something else, something unresolved, which is uh, uh, heavy on you, a relationship or a health issue. And then I will invite you to bring attention to your body, to the felt sense of that challenge in your body. So where, sit, where does it sit in the body? And then the taking 
in the practice of Tonglen is uh, to take it in, to to just you know, to say yes, so this is how I feel and this is how it feels. It's happening, and I'm willing to touch it. I'm willing to be present. Uh, I will hold it gently, touch it softly, and in that touching. As best as we can, we drop the word mine or me. So the contraction in the body, let's say it's fear, doesn't become my fear, but it becomes fear, the fear. And then we can add, it's the fear we all share. It's, it's the fear of human experience. It's not personal. Yeah. And then we turn, we shift into the giving part of Tonglen. So we breathe with the out-breaths, we give relief, we give space, we give kindness. So one image which might be helpful here is from Thich Nhat Hanh, the image that the different processes within you, the contractions, the wounds, that they are like little children who are needing your love, your attention, your soothing, so you take them into your arm and you say, ah, yeah, I'm here with you. I understand how difficult it is and I know it is difficult, but, but I'm, I, I, will, I will be with you. I'm not afraid uh, to, uh, to hold you. Uh, so that's a bit the image. So we give our loving presence. And, and then... Uh, there can be a bit of a prayer or aspiration, uh, which is, may, may I and all others who are going through the same kind of experience, may they be free. May they be free of this. Yeah. So, that, uh, so that is uh, the practice and and then we rest. So then we rest in the silence, which which emerges when we relax our resistance. Yeah? So we make the backward step into the silence, into presence. And this is uh, one of the practices uh, which which can be. practice day and night in every situation. We just need to uh, uh, remember it. So it becomes a way of being. Yeah? It, it, it ceases to be a practice being done in certain, in certain structures. It becomes a way of being. Yeah? So with the, with the in-breath just opening to what is, to the situation, and with the out-breath being a walking uh, source of loving awareness, being a walking source of loving awareness, by with the in-breath opening to whatever is, to whatever, whatever situation we find ourselves, and with the out-breath giving your presence. So let's start with a few minutes of 
adjusting the posture and reconnecting with the body and breath, paying a little more attention to your inner life. Shifting again from the doing to the being, allowing the heart, the mind, the body to settle. Sliding with each in-breath into the trunk of your body and with the out-breath, softening the belly and the shoulders. Appreciating again that we make this gesture together as a group and with us countless other people. How's your belly? Maybe it can soften a little more. Also, shortly call upon the support and the inspiration of the Bodhisattva angels surrounding us and protecting this space, this space of the meeting. Spacious aliveness, present moment awareness. Thoughts become less important. And then I invite you uh, to go a bit into the conceptual level and you connect with a difficult uh, situation you find yourself in. So there's a bit of story there or images, memory maybe. And uh, feelings involved. Maybe it's a difficult relationship, so you think about that person or a certain situation. There might be resistance to go into it. 
We allow the resistance, but we stay. And then you scan your body and you find in your body where's the felt sense of this challenge. Where does it sit in the body? And it can be quite localized or rather vague. But how does it feel to experience the, the situation? And then you bring that a bit into the foreground. Stay connected with the breath lightly, but you bring that felt sense of the challenge into the foreground, as if you take it into your arms, with your awareness and your breath. And you might switch back and forth a little between the mental images and the felt sense of your body. So where can you feel? Where in your body can you feel? Does it have a certain shape? What's the quality of the sensations? Is there color attached to it? So you approach without getting overwhelmed, without getting swept away. So there's also the awareness of the space, the awareness of that which is bigger. And then this embracing, this holding softly, touching gently, you combine, you combine lightly with the in-breaths. As if awareness and breath are these caring mother or father hands holding their distressed child. And notice what happens if you invite back what you usually reject, what you usually don't want to feel, some soothing, reassuring attitude, words. As if you invite back that child to the dinner table, which you actually would prefer to be outside of the house. If it fades, then you might need to go back to the story. 
but it could also intensify. That can also happen. So, and then, as best as you can, you drop the word me and mine. So it's the discomfort. experience the pure energy of it, the, the bare sensations of it. And then with the out-breaths, we go into the giving, giving relief, giving healing. And this can be words or light. What does this part of you this distressed child, what does it need? What is it asking for? And we appreciate that we do this together, meeting in the same place, giving our shared experience the loving attention. And then we broaden the space you know, by remembering that I'm not alone with this. We are not alone with this. There's countless other people who have the same experience right now. Maybe even more difficult. And my and may my loving attention, my my loving presence to this, may this heal that which is usually met with rejection and harshness. And with the out breaths, you give healing, love, compassion, soothing, nurturing to all of us here in the group, but then to all people who are experiencing similar challenges. May they be free, may they feel safe, may they feel whole.
and may my own courage right now contribute to that. So with the in-breath, holding softly, touching gently, with the out-breath, giving relief. Then after the outbreaths, we rest in silence. We rest as that which is giving relief, as that which is holding softly and touching gently. We rest as silence. We rely on silence, on presence. the in-breath, holding gently, touching softly, with the out-breath giving relief, and then rest as silence, as space. aware that the contraction is an appearance in consciousness, an empty appearance, having no substance, like a dream, like a rainbow.
your contraction becomes a stepping stone into loving presence. Then we can close this meditation with a short dedication made through our practice. May we all experience this shift into awakened presence and may everyone experience this shift into loving presence, into loving awareness. Okay, then. questions or comments something you struggled with in the meditation or something you're wondering about regarding this practice give the practice a bit of a structure, like looking back to this little journey. There is uh, the moment where you recognize that you are hooked. So this is, this is an important moment. Yeah. So this is the, the pausing in the moment where you notice that a contraction happens, or a contraction is happening. This is difficult because uh, we have the tendency to escape our inner life, and we have the tendency to disconnect from our body. So often we are actually not aware, uh, and sometimes this, this ex expresses itself in a bad mood. Yeah? So we are not aware of so what's actually, how do I actually feel, but we are in a bad mood, like we are low, or we are snappy, or we are annoyed. Yeah? And that is, uh, that could be a bit of a sign uh, that something is going on in the 
in the pre-conscious uh, which we are not in touch with. Yeah. We just feel that something is out of balance. But what it is, we don't know. Yeah. So, this uh, uh, practicing to uh, be practicing introspection, yeah? so it's one of the 51 mental factors. Uh, so, the introspection, yeah? being curious about and, and, and training to get back into the body, to notice um, the, the movements of your emotions within the body. Not only the conceptual aspects of the emotions, but also the felt sense. Uh, because that's where we work uh, in this process of awakening. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a body work. And we're actually talking here about the subtle body. So if, if you notice, uh, if you can come in connection with the felt sense, it's called felt sense, that's a term from Gentlin, from, from focusing. So the felt sense is not exactly just what some people would call sensations in the body. There is something else. Yeah. It, yes, there is sensations in the body, but it, it, it's like it's a, it's a, it's it's something different. Yeah. And uh, from a Tibetan point of view, every emotion is a function of the subtle energy body. So every thought actually is a function of the subtle energy body and it can be felt. Yeah? So it can be quite subtle and it needs to have one needs to develop the skill of emotional intelligence uh, to be in touch with how your emotions feel. And that's difficult for people who rely very much on the rational mind and they like to study emotions on the conceptual uh, understanding, uh, but there is that resistance often to go back into the body. And uh, one reason for that um, the resistance is there's so much unfelt in us that it seems to be a bit overwhelming, like we are a bit scared to slow down and actually feel how we feel. Yeah. So we need we need uh, refuge there, the sense that you're not going alone. So that's why it's good to call the bodhisattvas, you know, your mentor, uh, to do this in an environment where you maybe have some images which remind you of your refuge. Yeah. So this is an important point. And then, yes? Maybe I'd, I'd like to share now um, that I'm, I was really very happy about uh, you leading this meditation because it gave me a chance to um, go back to um, a situation in this morning having a dialogue with my husband. Mm. And at a certain point, to my surprise, uh, this sentence came into my mind, now just rely on silence. Mm. And uh, This morning? Yeah. Yeah, ah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. I almost couldn't believe it, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, it felt very good. 
but going um, again back there uh, during uh, your uh, meditation, um, I could even lean more into it. And uh, what I really recognize is what you just said that it's, uh, I don't remember uh, to. Uh, to to go into that felt sense of my body. Mm. What comes into my mind is to rely on uh, mentors or mm. uh, allies, mm. and that helps a lot. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But but uh, to to really, I would say, dare to. Uh, to feel into my body, that's, that seems to be quite a long way to go still. <laughs> yeah, but then there's this little little successes, as you, as you said. Oh, huh? So then, great. Then, yeah, and yeah. yeah, it is, and that's why the Tibetans use the word gong for meditation, to feminize mm -hmm. ourselves. So. Yeah. Even after so many years, and I know that you know we have you also have been working with this since many many years, just like me. Uh, still, to need the support of the book group and the reminders yeah. and the texts and listening to teachings again and again, yeah. and I also need to do that every day. Yeah, and then sometimes uh, in the afternoon, and then I read something or I listen to a teaching, then I remember. Oh yeah. I, again, this morning I forgot, or right now I'm forgetting because I'm still grumbling about something. Or, uh, uh, yeah, the 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 the, the, uh, the the strengths of the habits of blaming and reactivity and escaping is so strong um, through, through familiarization, not not only in this life but in many many other lives before. So we need really patience. And and it's good to uh, I mean it's it's actually helpful that it is uh, difficult for us because that can increase our tolerance uh, towards other people who also struggle with this even if they are practitioners. Yeah. It's very easy. Uh, there's actually a first uh, towards the end uh, um, saying pointing to this problem when we blame others that they can't do it. Yeah. So it's very easy to blame other practitioners uh, and uh, to, you know, oh, they are Buddhists and they meditate and, you know, and still they act like this. But if, you, if we look inside, then, then, uh, then, we, then we start to understand how difficult this is. And then to appreciate that there are groups like this, yeah? that there's actually people who are trying to do this, who really want to become... Uh, more loving in their life, and that, that's so inspiring. Just to have this, to see that intention, even if even if these people are really annoying to be around, and you know, you know how it is in Buddhist centers. <laughs> it's like uh, just that everyone who comes to a, to to a teaching or into a meeting like this uh, to be happy about that intention they have. Uh, yeah, so the first step, thank you, Christine. Um, and then uh, the, with, uh, the, the part with um, 
combined with the in-breath, one shouldn't be too occupied with the in- and out-breath, but it can, be, uh, it can become part of that. So with the in-breath, uh, to open to the experience. Um, and in a situation like this, it might be necessary if you do it like as a training to actually contact, uh, contact a difficult situation, to recall a situation. But of course, uh, we also do this practice when we are in the situation. Uh, the best would be to do it right there on the spot, but it could be also after or in preparation of, uh, of a meeting. Or, yeah, so the, the idea is at one point to be able to bring this into the actual situation. But probably we need to train in the way we just did it, yeah? so that we become familiar with these steps. Um, so this is like um, this moment of uh, acknowledging how you feel and accepting it with the in-breath. Yeah, I, this is difficult. I, I'm just hooked right now. I'm, I'm in reactivity and this is so difficult for us to admit that, even to ourselves, you know, because we would like to be more cool and we would like to pretend to ourselves that when someone says something which is actually not a big deal, but we really feel hurt, you know, then we try and it's, it's easier to kind of, uh, you know, deny. And then uh, with the outbreath, the giving, yeah. And uh, you know, those of you who know the practice of Tonglen, one can do it like with, with symbols and you know, with a light and, and things like that. But the the giving, yeah. And in the giving, there is also this this thing that we start to establish a different relationships to the sub-personalities. Yeah? You could call it sub-personalities or the different processes. Yeah? Uh, and in this practice, uh, Christina mentioned the word ally. In this practice, we assume that all the sub-personalities, like the little lost girl or uh, the judge, uh, you know, all these different processes, that they 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 can be allies. Yeah? So we don't assume that they are enemies, who we need to get rid of. Yeah? And sometimes, when you start to have a different relationship to these aspects of yourself, they change. You know, they start to feel safe. Yeah? They, they in the beginning they are kind of yeah, so I now I can be here. Yeah, but you know the the whip is already in your hand. Um, I I don't trust this. Yeah, I'm not safe here because you have been always so unattentive and so hard to me. Um, and when we reflect and when we start to have a, 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 another another relationship to these family members, you know, like uh, in, uh, in the internal family system therapy, you know, they, they use uh, this image of uh, another system is the inner voice dialogue, yeah, so there's like different Western approaches to this. Um, then, uh, then we might uh, 
then we might, then we start to understand that actually that process in itself or that family member actually wants, wants good. It wants to protect you. Yeah. And, it, it, and it developed in a time in your psychological history where it was probably the only option to survive the situation. So it's like we pay homage to that scared little boy in us, you know, because and we appreciate and we we are we, we develop a a pride uh, towards the different family members and we understand that they all have good intentions, yeah, but no the, the little hurt boy in us, which is triggered when your wife is saying something, yeah, uh, which, you know, uh, it's not her fault, <laughs> uh, or your, your partner, yeah? uh, that, that he or she triggers that. Um, what I wanted to say... Ah, so, that little boy has not realized that yet that you are grown up. You need to tell him. You need to tell her, Hey, little girl, I'm here. I'm a grown woman now. We can, I take your hand. We can do this together. You are, you are not alone. You don't, I'm not that little girl anymore. And thank you for your protection. Uh, but, you know, we can do it differently now. I can take care of you now. And then I can, and then you can help me with your, uh, with your wonder and with your childlike, spontan spo spontaneous energy. Yeah? Uh, and uh, you can we can travel together. I, I I'm I'm not I don't want to exclude you anymore. Yeah, but uh, I have grown up now. Yeah. So in in that kind of relationship, then with the out breath, you give to that little girl or to that part to the inner critic whatever, you give to that part what that part needs. Yeah, and then and then that which uh, usually blocks your vitality uh, becomes actually uh, an ally in your life. Uh, it becomes part of the richness of your family system. Yeah? But you don't put her on to the driver's seat anymore. <laughs> because she's much happy to play around in the in the in the back seat yeah? that's that's much nicer for her yeah? she just took she just takes the wheel because she thinks nobody else would do it so and then um, then there is the rest and silence yeah, so that's, and I now I, I come I, I pointed to that with the out breath. Uh, so there is a gap between the in and out breath, which is used in in uh, in some traditions. Uh, to uh, you know, so with the out breath, there is a moment, 
and the in-breath comes by itself, so you don't start the in-breath, so you breathe out and then there's a gap. And so that's, and the gap is sometimes an option for us or an invitation to uh, to uh, connect with uh, the silence or connect with the space, yeah? with the with the space within which the breath comes and goes. And then slowly, slowly, in that meditation, you might be able more and more to become bigger and identify with the silence, the spacious presence. So that is the space within which the different family members come and go. You know, it's the stage. Yeah. So you shift to the stage. You, you, you realize, I am the stage. I'm neither the ground grown up, I'm not, I'm not the witness, I'm not the little girl, I'm not the, um, I'm not the, the inner critic, I'm not the professional, uh, and so on and so on. I'm the stage within my family system is playing out its dramas. And I'm bigger than all of that. And then, you know, so the giving is then uh, is the, this dialogue, but then uh, we also make this step into, I'm not alone with this. Actually, this, the, the, the drama uh, of my family system in the, in, on the stage of present moment awareness is it's the human drama. It's not my drama. 